Hello and welcome to the first episode of Satoshi's Mind uh, by Nakamoto. To introduce myself, my name is Florian. I'm originally from Germany, from the Cologne area, and I got into the blockchain space at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. I used to do a bunch of stuff with newer projects. So basically, I worked with a lot of like ICOs from 2015, 16, 17. Um, I did that while living in Halle, also in Germany. And then during the beginning or middle of 2017, I moved to Berlin, where I met my current business partner, Robert, Robert Kufner. And together we uh, founded Nakamoto, which we then later integrated together with another project called Peak, Peak.io, into Advanced Blockchain AG, which was a new vehicle that we then listed on German stock exchanges. And yeah, with Advanced Blockchain, we were doing mainly consultancy and software as a service. Um, so we were building out our protocol peak as like an infrastructure protocol and also consulting um, mainly European-based, mainly industrial companies on what they can do with blockchain, how they can integrate it and why it might make sense for them to innovate and yeah, look into this new technology. Also, over the last two years, I've been really interested in tokenization, mainly like tokenization of debt. And recently, I also got interested in the DeFi space. And yeah, now we are also trying to revitalize Nakamoto a bit. So we're doing we're writing some articles, like a knowledge base kind of. And yeah, we're also doing this podcast. And yeah, I also have a co-host with me, Connor. Yeah. Hello. Thank you so much, Florian, for uh, bringing me on this journey with you. Uh, a bit about me. I am a comedian who was living in New York City before COVID-19 started. Uh, and now, quite literally, I am performing comedy wherever people are letting me through this thing called curbside comedy. Uh, outside of all of that, I worked in the world of journalism and audio, having graduated from the University of Oregon with a degree in journalism and working some time as a production assistant at Oregon Public Broadcasting. And for this podcast, what I'm bringing is kind of who I am as a person, especially to this space. I'm a, I'm a newcomer to crypto and Web3 and other related industries, and I'm hoping to fill the role and ask questions for people like me who are intrigued in this space and want to learn more, but who are who are newer at the same time. Thanks for the introduction. And Absolutely. yeah, um, on the podcast, like basically what we want to discuss is uh, recent trends in blockchain, in the Web3 space but also like other industries of note. Um, yeah, and we just want to make it easier for our listeners to maybe understand some of the new stuff that's happening. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Today, our first guest is Ingemar Ramirez. Um, Ingemar, um, me and Ingemar, we met some time ago in New York, like 2017-ish, um, through a mutual friend at a conference. And he has been consulting a number of blockchain startups on marketing, on content strategy. He's been working at Celsius. He's basically specialized in business sales and marketing. He ran two seasons as the host of the Top of the Block podcast. And currently he's writing a lot about the DeFi space, about DAOs. He's been featured in Hackanoon and Bankless. And currently he's also working with DORG. Welcome, Ingemar. Thanks a lot for the introduction, Florian. Um, yeah, happy to talk about like what's been going on with DeFi. Plenty of drama, plenty of new innovations, uh, pretty cool memes. I am fascinated for this conversation, just doing all the research and all that. I just, I was getting excited, getting excited about the space and all of that. Uh, Florian, what do you, what do you think? What, what questions do you have, uh, for Ingemar? Where, where should we start this whole thing? Generally, I'm pretty interested in what's going on with like DORG and um, what's your opinion on DAOs in general. Like, um, I, I'm really fascinated of the DAO concept as well. Um, I had like one bad experience with it during the <laughs> Ethereum DAO and then kind of ignored them for a long time. But yeah, like the space really moved along and I'm super happy to hear about what's uh, currently going on with um, your DAO projects. Oh man, I didn't know that you were affected by the DAO hack, but sorry about that. <laughs> oh, jeez. But oh, no, no, I, I um, like for a few years, right? I guess they weren't really an explored thing and yeah, yeah. And had PTSD, I'm sure. So they are reemerging now and it's still very, very early in terms of like their functionalities and capabilities. It's really exciting though, because the uh, state of DAO, I guess, technology is at the level that allows groups of people around the world to self-govern and control a budget in a way that is decentralized and fair and like democratic. Can we uh, step back just for a second? And for any listener out there who's interested in DAO, can you can you kind of explain what the the broader concept is and what the acronym stands for? Oh yeah, so DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, and what that basically signifies is a group of people. Um, governing um a treasury of funds um that is all locked in a smart contract on the ethereum blockchain and um no single person has power over it so in order to get anything done on chain meaning like like executing the like distribution of funds from this treasury wallet there has to be consensus. There has to be a proposal um, uh, written and submitted um, and voted on successfully by all the members of the DAO. So there's no leadership 
in terms of like, there's no president, there's no CEO. Everyone has the power to propose ideas and submit them. Um, and it enables like a more distributed, like a, I guess a more fair distribution of power among the participants of, of this organization. So that's what DAOs enable. It's mm. basically an extension of decentralization, like that this whole movement's kind of about. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess the idea of it is to, to have fairness and transparency and uh, um, I guess no points of like serious vulnerability um, because if you have all the power on one in one person, power can, can very easily can corrupt. And if you have, if you utilize technology to allow um, like the distribution of power among multiple people who can dialogue and, and work together, you don't need that. Um, you don't need to trust like one single entity or person to, uh, to, to dictate things. And um, it's kind of humanist in a way, like mm -hmm. the, a group of people has the power to, to govern themselves. Do you think that works like as well and as like as efficient on like different scales? So would you say, for example, like a smaller or like a medium sized DAO is um, like can govern itself like pretty quickly? I would say so. Yeah, there are there are some good examples right now of DAOs governing treasuries of like anywhere from a hundred thousand to millions and millions of, of dollars and that you know that that money is kept safe and I, and also like DAOs are really really early so um like we're we don't have decades or or centuries of like data to yeah, really yeah. include anything but there you know there have been ever since that that big DAO hack like that topic has not been explored too much but they're coming up around more now And you have DAOs that are like really building products mm. and paying workers and um, like recruiting good people. Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with fairness and transparency, it, it, it's working pretty well. And uh, right now, right now, like the best, the best like use cases are, are for like DeFi related stuff because a lot of, A lot of blockchain products are, are obviously on chain. So when you can, when you can connect revenues to like a blockchain based treasury, like that enables even greater um, transparency. It seems like we're really uh, testing human morals and like the question, are humans innately good or bad with putting the trust back in the people? So it seems like it's, you know, functional in some ways, more uh, philo philosophical in others which is fairly uh, interesting from a different perspective. Right. It, it, and I know it's very hard to like describe this to somebody with words and then like, um, I'm not even sure what kind of picture goes on in their, in their heads, but. Um, If you were to try to paint one real quick. Yeah. Yeah, like imagine a dashboard where you, you, you click, you click on the proposals that are currently live and up for voting. And you see proposed proposals like, um, yeah, I'm requesting a, a thousand dollars to work for a month on um, building these this UI, and 
and like the proposal says like, hey, I'm this person and uh, I will accomplish this, this and this. And I'm requesting this amount of money, half up front. I'll make a proposal later, requesting the other half once once uh, all the work is submitted. And and like you can see how many votes are on it already and how much time until the proposal um, is like the result is determined. Like, OK, there's five days left for, um, you know, this proposal either passes or fails. And um, and there's a bunch of those on there. And depending like if you're a participant with voting power, you can, you can vote on them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's kind of like how how it looks. Um, I guess interface wise. So there's a few, there's a few, like, there's a few, um, applications that are DAOs. Some of them have, like, um, some DAOs have voting power based on tokens you can buy. Some of them are based on, like, non fungible assets that are just kind of distributed mm-hmm. and not transferable. And some like that because you can't just, like, buy voting power. You have to like mm. earn it from the DAO. You can propose to like be allotted voting power for things that you did. Um, so it becomes a little more meritocratic and not just like, you know, buying votes. Mm. So there's just different interpretations and it all works differently and with different levels of, of um, effectiveness. Just depends on what the DAO's priorities are. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering, like, for example, when you pay someone out, if you, like, someone does a project for the DAO and now he needs to get paid, if you, like, how many of the votes you need, if you need, like, every single participant to say okay, or if it's, like, like two people say okay and no one says no, and then it goes through? Yeah, great question. So with, like, DAO stack-related DAOs, the DAO stack is, like, a, a governance, like, DAO framework that you can launch DAOs on. So with that framework, um, and like in the context of the org, the org is like a, it's like a development shop for, mm. for like three. So the way that one works is like, um, for a proposal, like, um, like an activation proposal, for example, an activation proposal is something that we, that we made for people who want to join the DAO and like accomplish one like simple bounty that they can, finished in one day like oh yeah i made it i made um a cool application for like mm. um and uh i'm submitting it to the DAOs. it's like my my little project and uh i'd love to join as a, as a developer for this DAO. and um in order to pass that vote um instantly you would need more than 50 percent voting power so some members might have like 10 percent 15%, but it's a small DAO. I have like 1%. Um, it's all based on like the contributions that you've, that you've made to the DAO. Mm. And, um, you'd have to hit above 50% in order to just like instantly pass it. Um, or you can, uh, you can boost it by staking tokens and then, and then that speeds up the process and it turns it from a required 50% majority to like relative majority. So out of the people mm. who voted, whoever, most power that voted yes um, passes it. You don't need you don't need everyone to vote. And so with DOG, you're like um, the basically like the first legally registered DAO, right? 
Yeah, yeah. It's pretty interesting. It's a DAO with a legal entity. And this law, I think it's from Vermont or Virginia, one of the V states. Of course. <laughs> Man, I think it's Vermont. But uh, this law came out that allowed like blockchain businesses to have like um, entities so that they can so that they can like interact and transact with other like legal entities. So mm-hmm. that enables Dior to, you know, with with the help of some lawyers to 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 file a legal entity, and um, that's how that's a lot of how they're able to like um, execute like legal contracts with other organizations to build products for them. Um, so they're the first, and I think it's pretty historical. That's super cool. I was wondering, um, in in theory, can you would you imagine or like would you think that um, like a lot of just normal companies are being built on DAO as like DAOs as like the back end kind of like we just now use SAP for a lot of business cases that a lot of legal entities will just be formed that way and we won't even think about like oh send around like this and that and I deal with this like complex thing but that it just goes in the back end and yeah Hmm. Some yeah, some companies start off as like traditional companies and then they try I guess they ideally want to sort of decentralize the power and the control of the products they build so that uh one, they're not like legally liable liable for what happens mm. and they're probably better run by by a community of like stakeholders and liquidity providers and users and enthusiasts anyway than they ever could uh, on their own, you know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the idea. Um, I, I haven't really seen it executed that well, honestly. Um, but I'm sure that there are a couple of examples that are uh, well on their way. Um, but yeah, Dior got ideally started off like as a DAO and is pretty faithful to that DAO mm. ethos. Is very transparent and doesn't make decisions behind closed doors has very open chats. They're very approachable. Other than, you know, the the transparency that you were talking about, what are the pros of setting up a business in this structure? Well, one, it's, it's an experiment, right? So there's not that many, like, uh, examples. But I guess in, in, in theory, um, for, for a group of people who truly consider themselves peers and capable of, of like, participating effectively in a, in a venture, that is, you know, everyone's proactive, everyone's contributing, everyone's pitching in, and it's all, it's all like for one common like goal. And if everyone has that kind of like dedication and drive, you don't need necessarily a leader with all the power like dictating everything going on and what happens, especially when it comes to money. So when you have it all on chain with the treasury there, that has, that has to be utilized with consensus and everyone's input, uh, you could see, you could see everything that goes into the treasury, everything that goes out. There are no secrets kept. Everything is out in the open and, uh, transparent and gives everyone kind of the, the agency to, um, know just as much as everyone else what's going on. Uh, nothing has happened behind closed doors. And, uh, you know, it, it, it allows everyone to just be proactive and, and like it empowers everyone. It, 
is it really as idealistic as it sounds? Like it just seems like I don't know something you read in a book and go, oh, let's let's try this out now. Right? Yeah, it, it does seem like it like kind of nuts and um, very idealistic and philosophical and all that. Um, but it's being it's being proven. There are some examples now of that happening. And Dior has been around for about a year, and you know that that treasury has been governed like pretty well. Um, they've had clients from Balancer, Gnosis, Dow Stack, Diversify, um, Etoro. So like a lot of the best names in in sort of like the blockchain by industry. And, um, you know, all of, all of the contracts and all of like the money has flowed on chain straight to the treasury. They, you know, they didn't have, they don't have like some kind of corporate bank account or, or anything like that. Um, so it's been functioning. Like it's, it's, we're at like the minimum viable, like level where like it, it can, it can function this way. And, like, but DAOs could totally spread to like, um, anything. Like, I think in the future, it could be like after school programs where, you know, there's a treasury and like the students, they, they, they propose like, I, we need like $100 to pay for like, um, paint and art supplies and everyone votes, all the students vote or things like that. I think that would be really cool for just things that aren't really related to blockchain. I think DAOs could be um, applied to a lot of initiatives where there's just a group of people who are peers and have a common goal and want to just like have like a more democratic process, I guess. How complicated would you say it is to use for like a non-blockchain person? For me, someone... for me. That's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that that's the thing too. So it's very, it's, DAOs are very early and the 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 process of like using DAOs are not the most simple thing. Um does require hand holding, I guess like um, you know, I, I wouldn't really tell a friend to just like figure it out. It's easy. It's like creating an email. Um but I'm sure like, you know, for people creating an email in the in the early to mid nineties, like that was like tough. And you know like Dior did create a, a DAO launcher, which like you could create a DAO within a few minutes, but you'd still know how to, you still have to like know what Ethereum is and what MetaMask is and, and what these addresses mean. So like, but if you have that, if you, if you know how to like create an Ethereum wallet, you can create a DAO. It's at that level. But most people don't even know how, like what an Ethereum wallet is. So it's still very early and it's still, um, it's still, yeah, in the process of like refining itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I think the email analogy is pretty interesting because I feel like if not only DAOs but blockchain in general gets made so user friendly and so efficient that it basically goes in the back end and that we all start using it, like without even really knowing that could get super interesting and would enable like a bunch of new use cases and products that maybe we can't even think about that well right now. For example, like we all use email. We all trust email that it's coming from where it says it's coming from. But I guess the average, like 
no one <laughs> really knows how it works in detail, but we don't need to because it just generally works. And maybe blockchain can go to such a state as well that it enables a bunch of new stuff in the future without the average person even having to think about like what's going on. And since it's all or it should all be open source, um, it's, we don't need to trust like weird random app developers, but we have this stack somewhere in the background, background of a bunch of apps that we might be using. And yeah, that's something interesting I could see also maybe happening with DAOs. Yeah. I mean, it seems as a person still, like I said, newer to this whole thing, it seems like this is the way we're moving in general. Like you just, you either can learn about it or it can happen and then one day be upon you. It's, I mean, that's just the way it seems it's going to happen. Like countries are adopting it all over. Uh, something I know you had mentioned, Ingemar, earlier too, you said DAOs lend themselves particularly well to DeFi and all of that. Why, why is that? That's a good question. So, um, like with the context of... <clears throat> Actually, maybe for people, DeFi, DeFi, decentralized finance and all of that is... Anything other big picture that we should think about right. in the, the, the whole space? Water yeah. But uh, like, like for, for example, like a DAO could build a product on Ethereum. And let's say this product generates revenue. This revenue could go straight to that DAO's treasury because it's all everything's on chain. So that's why it's like, that's why like the first like, like cases of DAOs are, are happening like, in that Ethereum world, because it's, it's really easy to like route revenues from products um, to to like a DAO's treasury because it's all it's, everything is on Ethereum. Like if you were to do like real world stuff, like like uh, I don't know, in like if we were an art collective or something, and I was a thousand dollars to make this piece, like this like this sculpture, you can't really track it on chain necessarily. And let's say it, it gets sold for euros. I'd have like I'd have to be trusted to put the euros into Ether and then put that in the treasury or whatever. Um, but yeah, so with DeFi, like you don't have that problem really. It's all on chain. You see where everything goes and everything can be connected. Um, so and yeah, uh, that's just uh, how things are now. But in the future, like who who knows what you can connect to to the blockchain. In five years, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's kind of exciting and daunting. Yeah, I mean that's the way it feels. It's a perfect combination of both, right there. <laughs> yeah, of course. What's your thinking about the um, DeFi space right now, with where it's developing? Um, like, like a lot of people, they're basically assuming, like, oh. It, just like kind of staggers up like it gets bigger and bigger but um where where does the value come from oh yeah that it so much has been happening and i'm also curious like connor what you think based on like what you've read and stuff because i feel like months of events have happened in the span of like a week and a half where we had like an anonymous team create a, uh, a fork or basically like a, like a copy of, of like DeFi's biggest exchange where people trade for different assets on the Ethereum blockchain. 
worked it, create this cool branding of sushi, and basically took a lot of the users and liquidity providers from Uniswap, migrated it over to to SushiSwap, ton and and like so they could accrue a whole bunch of sushi tokens, and then um and then one of the one of the founders of SushiSwap had like 10% of all sushi swap tokens not locked up just like in his wallet he said hey i'm a good guy i'm not going to sell it and crash the price <laughs> um, to a third of its value i'm a good guy uh, you know like and uh, you know also sell like selling sushi tokens like it, hmm. it, the price gets lower the more you sell and if you hear like oh the sushi token you might think it's like a small little thing but like it actually had like a really high valuation at parts. Right. Like, yeah. So it, it, and it actually does have like potential despite like that one, uh, founder dude, like dumping all his tokens on everyone and mm. worth $13 million. And he said, Hey, I did it. Cause like I, <laughs> and I built this and you all love it. So I'm going to, I'm going to cash out for this one, seven days of work. And thank you very much. And I'll still be around. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he actually gave it back yesterday. That's true. And then like, and then like yesterday, he's like, I'm sorry. I, that was totally <laughs> my mistake. That was very like immature of me, blah, blah, blah. I have to, uh, I sent it back. And here's the address that I sent it back to this treasury thing. So like he actually did. And this whole thing took place in like eight days where like, this platform came out of nowhere and stole like a billion worth of liquidity from like the top exchange and, and just yeah. migrated. And um, <laughs> like, it's like, it's insane. It's really dramatic and it's kind of fun mm. to watch. I mean, yeah. the, the way <laughs> it sounds like from, and feels like from my perspective, it's the wild West meets the stock exchange. It's like, you it's like so much can happen all at once because it's such a new area, but it also, you know, it's connected with the an actual currency, things that can be traded in of value. So it's like, I, I don't know. It does it, it does it feel fitting? I guess it kind of feels like a fitting narrative for, of blockchain as someone new. I'm like, yeah, this seems like it's a thing that could happen, but it's just a lot to take in, uh, especially as someone who's new and be like, oh wait. This is this is some of the risk. This is some of the risk and reward of the space too. If you invest in it, um, <laughs> totally. But yeah, I mean, it's such it's a hard it's a hard thing to follow, especially when you're trying to learn about the technology underneath too, and be like, yeah, do I trust this? Do I trust the actors around it? Um, but it's yeah, Wild West meets the stock market. It's the way I feel. I couldn't imagine someone in like traditional finance looking at this and seeing like uh like rainbows and like uh like cool <laughs> like branding and sushi and uh unicorns and being mm -hmm. like like this is what's turning people into millionaires. It looks like <laughs> what video game. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, what's the game of real? Yeah. I mean Yeah. <laughs> It's a gamified space, it seems like, which I guess makes sense. Reward people for what they do uh, rather than, you know, something that's so disconnected. Yeah. Um, lots of lots of memes with <laughs> are, are happening. And I think, you know, you can't really tell 
um, until like time, like the duration of time will really like prove how, how effective these things are. So I think sushi is trying really hard, the internal team and community, they're trying really hard to like make this, this real and deliver like things that were, were promised. And like, you can't really like, can't really say with a whole like 100% certainty whether it's like a bunch of bullcrap or, or some really awesome new innovation, um, and push towards like financial freedom. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess another way I kind of look at it too from a perspective of a new person is it seems like the underlying technology is actually relatively trustworthy. Like this is the way things are going to go with technology, like with Web3. Decentralization seems like it's the future. But the finances thing is like, eh, I still don't know. But I I mean, as an investor, you always have to be uh, – I guess as a young investor, you can be a little bit more aggressive, but as like, uh, you, you still want to be smart with it. And it still seems like there's so many things, so many balls up in the air that it's like, mm-hmm. how smart can I be if I don't know mm-hmm. how to juggle? Yeah. And it, you know, it's a matter of doing as much research as you possibly can and, and, and testing these products out. And I think doing is a really good way of learning and, that's sort of how I got into this. I wanted to learn some new things in DeFi around the time when like Corona lockdown happened. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people, including myself, had some, some extra time just because like businesses and like clients were shutting down and stuff. So I, I just took on, all right, DeFi, let's, what is this thing? So I, um, talked to a few friends who were building products and started to like write about those products so it was kind of win-win because i got to learn they got to have some content out um and i think content is like was like very sorely needed um for these types of products that like very like very clearly explain what the main idea is and just how to use it um and kind of take the user by the hand and show this is how it's done and you might come across this you might come across that but don't worry this is normal or it's not normal and, um, and kind of that kind of got the ball rolling for me where these like these, um, these just like free articles I started writing and just turned into like paid things and then turned into like, like part time jobs and, um, kind of took off from there. <laughs> it's a good use of time if you're stuck indoors, but mm. I'd say <laughs> the hand holding is helpful for the general consumer. I mean, for, I guess for both of you, I'm curious too, like what's the goal of any business or any product is to get it accepted by the general public. What are some things, especially in the DeFi space with DAOs that are important to understand uh, for the general consumers to make it more widely accepted and for it to grow and scale in kind of the ways that are hoped? Yeah, I think um, like, Someone, I read this on Twitter where like the best way to explain Bitcoin is to explain fiat. And if people under, understand like how effed up fiat is, um, like it would just lead them to, okay, what can I do about this? And then, mm. and then you can kind of say, this is, well, you have Bitcoin. Bitcoin, uh, does not have all those effed up things that, um, mm. like fiat 
dollars have. And um, like a, a close friend of mine was looking at her, like her different bank accounts and how much little interest that they paid off, like in the 0.001 range or 0.01 range annually. And these are for like large five figure accounts. And, <laughs> and like, and she, and like, yeah, even she has the understanding, not even she, she has the understanding that, um, that like the euro, uh, it kind of like it inflates the supply of euro mm. inflates every year. So mm. the value goes down and, and, and it is not compensated by the interest that she gets from these, mm. these banks. I would, I would also say on like the DeFi side, like connecting to that point, uh, you can like, we, like people are seeing like the huge numbers locked up in some of the lending protocols, for example, and might think like, Oh, that's like too much like being put in there. And like, um, but if you compare it to a normal bank, like a normal bank can give out 10 times as much money as they have in their accounts. And like in DeFi, you can actually give out less money than you have deposited as collateral. So you could argue that the DeFi space is more stable than our current financial system from like the lending side. Yeah. In a lot of ways, my, like my favorite thing about DeFi is that like I can, um, I can pull out my money whenever I want and there's mm. and saying um, you can't have this anymore because of the country that you're living in or, or what you did recently, or, you know, I don't like your beard. So lock <laughs> your money and give you a hard time. So a lot with a lot of these DeFi platforms, they're non-custodial. So I can try it out, earn, earn some money. And then like, if I feel like dipping out, I can dip out without any hassle. So mm. I have that freedom and like sense of security for my money. So it's a lot about consumer understanding at this point, like tearing down the walls, like, oh, Bitcoin's a bubble. It's uh, not necessarily a, a safe place to be to go. Oh, no, this is a whole other sort of economy. This is a whole different way of not just, you know, earning some money but thinking about things um and the underlying technology that allows it to open up yeah totally. um i had i had dinner with some with some friends yesterday and like we're all in crypto and um we kind of played around with the idea of like um gold like bitcoin bitcoin on and it's real use case and like i kind of paralleled it with gold not every gold investor like uses gold like they just kind of hold mm. it i don't like an investor of gold doesn't usually like build microchips or rings with it or jewelry like they just the main idea is like they hold it it's like a store of value and and like in in response um my friend asked like but yeah but like what about what about Bitcoin? Like, what can you do with it other than like send it? But like, that is the that is the use case. Just cross border payments without a middleman, like anywhere in the world. Like that was the first to ever do that, um, like successfully. And I feel like that it pioneered 
that first use case. And that's something that people shouldn't forget. Um, that, but that's also my opinion. And do your own research and not financial advice. <laughs> I know we're running lower on time, though. Um, Florian, are you, I mean, Ingemar is such a great resource. Do you have any questions, any thoughts, anything for him? I, I'm trying to rack my brain and think about the same type of stuff at the end here. So I, and I, I think I, I can add something about, um, about DAOs and like these communities. They're yeah. very, very approachable. So a lot of the time, if you're just curious about getting involved with these organizations, like you can look them up on Twitter and like if you DM them, like I promise you, like within a few minutes or, or an hour or, or within a day, like they'll get back to you. Like community, like, <laughs> yeah, like these are, they really want to expand. And a lot of people are, are approachable in this community. So if there's like actual like curiosity expressed and like intent to help and become a part of it, like every community in DeFi loves that and they want that. And it's like very sorely needed. Um, the org is definitely like looking for like developers, and, you know, marketers, content creators, um, designers. So like, uh, like pretty much all communities are, are like recruiting at this point. So it's not like we're full. It's better than the regular economy right now. Yeah. <laughs> For hire. Oh, great. Oh yeah. Like two things that, um, still came to my mind. Um, one of the things I was thinking of before, like, uh, we saw your member of like the DX DAO and mm -hmm. like we were wondering, um, what that's generally about and also like um your current uh, opinion on the whole uh, yield farming thing so the dx DAO, it, it 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 is a dao it is i think it is like the largest dao that has people like building stuff uh like defi products and um very active community they have products from like Decentralized exchanges to prediction markets to, um, to, uh, one of their newer products called Rails. It's like a, uh, instant gasless, uh, layer two, like Ethereum transaction, uh, platform that's coming out. I, I think that'll be pretty big. Uh, it's very huge. They have daily calls because there's so many things to talk about, like how, how to self govern, how to, how to like, um, how to acquire more liquidity on these products, how to promote them and get awareness, partnerships. It's, it's so much. So there's almost like, yeah, that there's dozens of like sub chat groups on, on the key base for every topic. It is huge. It is mammoth. Um, and, and it's moving along really, really well too. Uh, like ever since the fundraise has been like four months, uh, about to have four, four products at the end of these. You know, at the end of the first four months. So, um, very, very like, um, well scaled, I would say. People can come in, contribute, collect bounties, um, participate as much as they really want. It is very much a, a culture of like merit, transparency, and, um, decentralization, like very, like, very purist about the decentralization part. Um, so yeah, a bunch of good people in that, in that collective. Um, so when it comes to yield farming, 
that is like one of my like favorite hobbies slash like actual like yeah could you things i I Mm -hmm. understand yield farming on a basic level but for people like me out there can you real quick yeah kind of summarize yeah it's good um yeah, good opportunity to do that. So yield farming is basically um, pooling the assets that you own um, and allowing people to to trade among it. Like if you have 50% Ether and 50% Tether, uh, you put it in this pool where other people are doing the same exact thing. And traders, they come and they swap um, assets from these pools back and forth and you collect fees from it. and in addition to those fees, um, depending on the platform that you pool your liquidity on, they'll reward you with tokens. And these tokens are highly speculative and have many promises. Like a lot of them point towards governance of the product. Like if you have these, mm-hmm. if you farm and support this product, you get to have like ownership, like part ownership or part voting power within this thing. And, you know, if you hold it, you'll get reward, like further rewards. And, other things like that. So the farming part is is like staking your crypto so that you can earn tokens. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess it has this farming metaphor because you're really doing all the work like in the beginning, like planting the seeds and then, and mm-hmm. then uh, it, you know, like whatever, tilling the soil. And then after that, you're just kind of like watering it and just watching it grow. And it just becomes like, like, very, like a very passive uh, income stream. Speculative, speculative still income speculative. stream. Still speculative. But still. Mm. Um, but yeah, like a lot of these platforms are offering very, very appealing, uh, uh, you know, rewards for this stuff. And it's something that you can collect daily and turn it into ether if you don't want to hold it for a while. Um, or if you can speculate and hold it for longer and see if it ends up becoming anything. Um, <laughs> That is yield farming. Uh, I think it's great. It's very fun. It's uh, because you can watch you can watch the accrual of money just like happening like before. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like magic. It seems insane to people outside it. I'm sure. Um, and and you know depending on the platform, like some of them seem to be like really like legitimate and transparent and um, you know delivering on some of the on some of the ideas like put forth by the, by the original team. Hmm. So hmm. I have a group on telegram that we just kind of discuss these things and do some diligence and um, kind of assess the risks of things. So it seems like it all circles back to do your research, understand yeah. and uh, continue to learn and grow. Yeah. Do your research or, you know, get in like a total chat and, Screw it, YOLO. You know, you have varying <laughs> levels of, of uh, varying levels of like risk um, management <laughs> in, in this space, and uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun. Lots of personalities. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Love some good personalities. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. I feel like you know we're we're coming to the end of this runtime for the podcast. Um, Thank you so much. This for me as a as the newcomer here, it's been very, very informative um, and very insightful. I feel very honored to be sitting in on this as like a participant and fly on the wall to learn from two people who know so much about this space. No doubt. Thanks again for having me on. 
Uh, I would encourage people who are interested in uh, Dior, what they're doing or how to get involved. Uh, D-O-R-G dot T-E-C-H is the website, Dior.tech. Um, uh, yeah, come visit us, ask questions. Uh, can certainly use um, more developers on on their client projects. And um, pretty soon, uh, Dior will be releasing more info and details on their latest project called uh, Web3 API. And it's like an intern, it's like an internal project that they've been cooking up with funds that they've generated from, from client projects. So for the past year, they've been, um, you know, building DeFi um, products and protocols for other companies. And um, they've been kicking around this idea for a while um, of actually doing something themselves for, you know, for a really cool idea that they have. So it's a really cool like evolution of this dev shop turning into like, um, you know, its own like product venture thing. But I'm really excited about that. Sweet. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Mm. <laughs> All right. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for Great telling you. Like, very informative. And yeah. yeah. Mm.